Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to another episode of She Thinks Just Bought It. It's the podcast where we talk about what we just bought and what you might need to buy next. I'm your host, Caroline Moss, and I am here with someone you definitely know. Grace Bonney is the author of the best-selling books uh, in the company of women and Design Sponge at Home. I'm just so happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's great. It's so it's so nice to have you. It's so nice to talk to you. Um, you have a new book coming out on November 9th, Collective Wisdom, which is sort of a collection of stories from women um, sort of discovering things about themselves and their lives over the age of 50. Yeah. And it also sort of shares meaningful stories of intergenerational relationships between women who are under 50 and women who are far past 50, which is one of my favorite parts of the book. That's really nice. I really look forward to reading that. I, I feel especially as I've entered now quite solidly my mid 30s. Um, I hate the idea that uh, my and, and I think it's just no one has actually directly told me this, but I think it's that that's that understood sort of societal thing of like, well, your best days are behind you now. Or like, you, you know, you didn't capitalize on your, your twenties was the time to make all of your money or figure out who you were going to be or what you're going to be. And I just love stories of people who like start excelling at things after they've grown up. Um, and I don't feel that I've grown up yet. So it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I think our, our best days are very much not, uh, behind us. They're very much in front of us and the days we get are, we're lucky to have them. I think that's kind of a thing that got drilled home to me working on this book was our society in particular, like productivity society really focuses on youth and how much you can produce and listening to women who are in their 80s, 90s, over 100 made it really, really clear to me that that matters very, very little in the long run. Do you, do you ever wish that Design Sponge had, had cropped up in a time where things were a little, a little bit more, um, had already been like a little bit tried and true, uh, you had had to have discovered less on your own and it could have fit into, to more, you know, secure places. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think, well, I mean, to be super blunt, yeah, we, we benefited from there not being a lot of other competition. I don't think Design Sponge would have been what it was if there were 10, 20 more blogs that were exactly like that. And I I don't think that we also deserve any credit for like creating any sort of rubric for anything. I think we were very much figuring it out by the seats of our pants. And I think I super benefited from being a, at the time, uh, straight presenting white lady from a ton of privilege. So I think, you know, there were a lot of things that set it up to be what it was at that time. I do not think it would be that if it started now. So I'm, I'm glad we were at that time. I do wish that 
we had been around in an era where I think right now design and the creative community is going through this reckoning like every other community of of what role privilege and racism and ableism and homophobia and transphobia, all of that plays in the community and who gets written about. And so I, I do wish we had been able to kind of participate in that in a bigger way. It was very much a part of our dialogue for the last like five or six years of the site, but our particular community was not for the most part, super interested in having those discussions. So I think it would be different now, but I'm really glad to be able to like support and watch the people that are doing that work in the design scene now, because that's, that's very exciting and long overdue. Can you give any of them a shout of like who you're following and, and where we should be going for all of our design inquiry and inspo? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much happening. And there I mean, there are a lot of different groups for designers of color in particular. Um, but I really appreciate the work that Albie Knowles is doing online. Um, and she started kind of a share the mic thing for the design community last year. And I, I watched it have really lasting effects. And I mean, she and I became friends. I've made friends through her. And I think those are actually the connections that are the most meaningful when people become a regular part of your daily life and you get to hear about their concerns and their issues in a way that's not just like one month out of the year. And that type of thinking has to stop. And I think the work that Albie's doing is very much rooted in this needs to be an everyday discussion, not a once a month or once a year discussion. There really has not been a space untouched by this, which is great, but also probably very overwhelming to people who have been trying to make these their voices heard on these issues for so, so, so long. It's interesting because I don't, I don't know if it's overwhelming so much as maybe feeling like, where have you been? This, yeah. this is not something new. And I think for a lot of white people, this feels very new. And I think that that dissonance with reality is something that's incredibly difficult to reckon with if you are a part of a marginalized group. But you're right. It affects, it has been a discussion and is now affecting so many communities, including the birding community, which is what we'll be talking about I for know. a second. And I it's been wait. really nice to see that the birding community really reckon with its history and racism. Like, I mean, Audubon, you know, himself, that that was a big issue of racism within the Audubon Society. And they're now like, can we keep this name? Should we be something different? And it's really exciting to see those discussions starting. But of course, those discussions have to turn into actions that can't stay as discussions. But it's it's good that that's at least happening. Yeah, absolutely. And and yes, the birding community. So beyond design, beyond writing, beyond storytelling, a big thing that you got into, did you get into it during the pandemic or was this pre, this was a pandemic hobby? This was a, a pandemic newly birthed obsession. Yes, you absolutely. got into birding. So you live um, upstate in upstate New York. I live in the Hudson Valley. The Hudson yeah, Valley. Um, okay. Every people who live in upstate New York get very angry if I say upstate. So I, I, I try to clarify that because I do not live in like Buffalo or Rochester. <laughs> OK, see, and I live in I grew up in Westchester. So at, when people oh, say yeah. that's upstate, I get upset about that because that's also not upstate. But I guess yeah, I would have called exactly. the Hudson Valley upstate. Well, I'll have to look at him. We're going to have to have a map <laughs> reckoning for me later. Um, so you got into birding. Um, did you just throw, like, how did, was it a slow burn? Did you just throw yourself in? Take us through your journey. I don't do anything slow burn. I don't, that's just a, <laughs> it's a part of me I'm still trying to reckon with. But yeah, yes. I, I got, um, I started working on my new book, Collective Wisdom, right before the pandemic kind of became a, a larger topic. So we were traveling in January and February and there were, you know, murmurs of things happening in China and it wasn't really spreading. At least we weren't aware that it was spreading yet. 
so we were traveling all over the place. Wait, I just totally lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you, you were traveling. Okay. I was traveling. Oh, birding. That's right. Yes. Sorry. My brain sometimes <laughs> in the morning. I'll I get pick it. up where I were so you can clip it. Sorry. So it started when I was traveling, working on collective wisdom. And all of the work we were doing to produce that book got cut really short because of the pandemic. And I came home and I got really sick when I got home. And I thought I had COVID. I don't think I did. But I was sick for like two and a half or three weeks. And in that time, I was really worried that I had COVID and there was so little information. And so I literally made a list of things on my phone app of things to do from my bedroom window that would keep me calm. And nature has always been one of those things for me. So I made a list of like, identify all the tree types I can see outside my window, learn to identify the birds I can see outside my window. And then when I started feeling better, I ordered a bunch of those like clear acrylic suction cup bird feeders for our house. And that became such a source of joy. And I and I'm an obsessive researcher. So I had so much fun like diving into all the things that live over here. I mean, the Hudson Valley in New York is a particularly biodiverse region. So that was really exciting. And it just became like a fun distraction. Then I found myself thinking like, none of these animals and birds have any clue what's going on. Like, that must be so nice right now as all of us are living in this like unknown time. And it went from like, four acrylic bird feeders to I think at the height of my bird obsession like last the the end of last year I think we had like maybe 23 bird feeders (laughs) um but then bears became an issue in our backyard so I've had to back off the bird feeding for a little bit but there's still so many of them that we get to see a lot on a daily basis what is the um what is the bird you can you see the most of um in your area and what is the bird that is a a rare a rare sighting Mm, I love that question so there's there's two that are the most common and those were my spark birds which is what the birding community calls like the birds that got you into birding and I actually got like a huge tattoo of of both of them at the beginning of this year and that's a tufted titmouse and a chickadee and they're just everywhere in our backyard they're super mouthy and like busy bodies, and I very much identify with that. So I love those like chatty little annoying birds. Um, and then the rare one that we get every now and then is this bird called um, the rose-breasted grosbeak or grosbeak, and it's a black, white, and red bird. It is stunning. It has the most beautiful song, and if you hear it, it's it's like burns your burns itself into your brain. It's just it's so it's just beautiful, and I'm constantly in awe of the sounds that birds can make with what looks like absolutely no effort. So that's the one I'm always kind of on the hunt for. But I'm I'm very much into uh, falcons and hawks right now. So I'm trying to spot a peregrine falcon, which I know exists over here. Nice. And how do you find out? Well, first of all, the... Um the 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 bird with the beautiful song wait it's a gross it's a oh something gross beak what did you just tell me it was rose breasted it's got rose this, like, really beautiful red chest yeah now how when it when when we say it's a rare sighting what does that mean in in birding world like if you see something like once a week once a month like what is what's what makes something more I mean I understand common uh, sightings but what makes something a little bit more rare. I mean, I think the technical use of that term would be something different than how I would use it. But I would use that as something that I might see like a handful of times in a year. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. Because we get a lot of migratory birds. I mean, New York City gets way more than we do, which is kind of amazing. Central Park is this like cool little hub of that. But in the Hudson Valley, we do get some like awesome migration. So we'll catch like 
you know, there's like 40 different types of warblers and we'll get some of those. Sometimes we don't get any of them. And Julia always spots the ones that are like rare that I never see. So she's got this like uncanny ability, but I think that's because it's like not really something she's interested in. So she somehow is just like <laughs> the lack of effort pays off. Um, but yeah, I think those are, there are some that we'll see a couple of times a year and that feels so special. And right now as like I'm watching all the leaves just like cascade off the trees, we'll be able to spot hawks and owls a lot more now. So that's going to be fun. They also keep our house relatively free of mice, which is nice. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't even think about that when I think about birds, like the idea of of the the ecosystem of them is actually very helpful. Uh, And when I I, when I figured that out about spider webs and mosquitoes, I mean, I remember thinking like, okay, wait, (laughs) the spiders are my friends and these webs are good. Um, Yes. It sort of changes things now. So you're on the lookout for a peregrine falcon. Uh, What are the. I don't know. What's the outlook on that on that hunt in the Mm. Hudson Valley? Like, where does it all like? What do you I don't know. Like, How how do you bird? How does one bird? How do you find (laughs) out what you're looking for and when and how common it is and the seasons? Like, I just wouldn't even know where to start. And because you started so recently, I would love to know, you know, what sort of was a, a nice like gateway drug of information for you. Yeah, I think you start in your backyard, your front yard, your communal courtyard, whatever the closest thing to you is. There are very few areas that don't have any birds at all. And I think particularly in the New York region, like you can't not find a pigeon. There's going to be a pigeon somewhere. And they get a lot of flack for not being very interesting, but they're beautiful birds that are super fascinating. So I think start close and then see if it's interesting to you to learn more about them. If you like learning about one bird, you'll probably learn It'll be interesting to learn about all the other ones too. And then like go for a walk around your neighborhood or go to the water because it'll be totally different birds that are by the water. But you don't have to go on a bird hunt or like a bird hike. You don't need to go to some preserve like, yeah, those are those are super cool spots. But I'm a big fan of like accessibility when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. And and did you um, realize anything about your property that was either conducive or not conducive to the kind of nature that you were were hoping to see yeah we have essentially just kind of a a whole pile of mess in our backyard that is (laughs) you know downed trees that we don't really deal with like piles of branches and random stuff and there's just so many different types of like overgrowth which are things that i think typically people would like mow down or get rid of right but But now that we've learned, you know, especially dead trees are where a lot of woodpeckers have all their babies, like, I just leave it all. And I think because of the variation in what we have in a relatively small amount of property, there's just so many different things that live there. And that's true of even city environments, because there are going to be so many different types of places that birds can make their home. So there's there's always some place you can find at least a few different things. And sometimes like three or four birds is all you need to just get to know them and you can watch their behavior. And like, I remember a distinct pivot point when I realized that birds itch their ears like dogs do with their back leg. And the first time I saw that happen, I just like a little kid just like could not stop laughing. And I think there's something about birding that does connect me to like that inner child self and I think especially in really scary times that's a nice thing to reconnect with and feel like a sense of play and fun that's like really light because this is a really dark heavy time we're all living in right and and that's so true that and it syncs up with your earlier comment that it was like you know the human 
the humans are experiencing something quite horrible. But for all the other forms of life, um, the world just spins on. And to be able to sort of ingratiate yourself with that probably was like a, a very stabilizing um, thing f- for your mental health and for your well-being. Yeah. And sometimes like those little moments are kind of all you have in a really tough time. Like our nervous systems were not meant to survive this much <laughs> like constant alert, constant fear, constant anxiety. So, you know, I think for me, birding felt in the beginning, like it would like my whole day would be wonderful if something like I had a little good bird moment. Now it's like it's kind of confined to that little moment of like I have a half hour that feels great. But you know, some days that's that half hour makes a really big difference if you're dealing with depression and anxiety like sure. I do and like lots of people do. So I'm really grateful for even those like little 10 minutes where I'm like, oh, I just watched that Phoebe like jump off of a post, catch some sort of flying bug and then take it to its babies. And I'm like, what a great hour. That was so fun. So it's nice. You and my husband would get along so well. <laughs> because and I think I honestly even said this to Julia because he also cooks so I feel like all of his interests align with everything that's going on in your home um (laughs) unfortunately he's not as into rewatching Law and Order uh which is my uh mental well-being uh activity um but I have heard that sentence before I have heard him come in from outside and be like I just saw this animal do this with this and this and this and this and he's like in a good mood for the rest of the day. So yeah. there's something there. Or you guys are just just two very delightful people um, <laughs> who enjoy, you know, a different thrill than I do. You know, I'm like, wow, like Olivia Benson caught the rapist. <laughs> and that is great. And now my day is made. Um, I mean, both, both are important. I mean, Julia and I both watch copious hours of below deck on bravo so i think you know there's there's a real high low happening in this household and both are totally okay <laughs> now i remember she did you know what i was i i now i'm like recalling that she had told me i needed to start to watch below deck and i told her she needed to start watching summer house so now i'm gonna read oh. I'm, I'm gonna circle back with you guys in a few months and see where you're at okay um yeah you know it's birding and bravo those are the two b's who else what else do we need When you started out and you were just sort of getting your sea legs or your sea wings, um, did you, for me, when I start a new activity, I have a really hard time not like buying all the supplies. Like now I have a notebook and this is my special birding pen. And like I bought binoculars or like I bought, uh, you know, and now I go outside. It's I, I tend to... Uh, go too hard too fast and burn out quickly. I fly a little too close to the sun. Did you, did, how did you, you I know you started, you know, sort of quarantined in your bedroom with your notes app. Um, how did the, the uh, accoutrement part of this activity evolve over time? I did all that. I flew very close yeah. to the sun. Um, <laughs> I, I slammed into the sun many times, but, but I think the nice part about being in a, a relatively small community during the pandemic was when I kind of moved on from that phase of stuff I had bought, like, oh, I bought, you know, a pair of binoculars that I did not research well that were like just fine. And then we had friends with kids who came to visit and like hang out in the backyard and their kids were, 
you know, watching me watch birds and loved it. So I sent those binoculars home with those kids. And then I got a pair that I researched more effectively. And then, you know, I, everyone gave me a bird puzzle for Christmas. So those puzzles <laughs> got recycled back into the community. And I yep. think I constantly try to just like, if I am buying stuff, I try to just pay that back forward and like put it back into somebody who is going to be interested in that. Um, I mailed a bunch of pairs of binoculars because I went through several to <laughs> this like, it was a project in Georgia that was happening um, that uh, there's a an activist on Instagram named Hood Naturalist, or has, that's her handle. And she was like collecting binoculars and giving them to kids who were, you know, just discovering birding for the first time. So Fun. I sent a bunch down to that. I just try to keep it recycling, basically. Um, but I have slowed down considerably now that I've realized which feeders are never going to survive a bird or a bird, a, a bear attack. So that's that's most feeders. But I've now figured out that like the ones that are a little too open, I'm just asking for some sort of like rodent situation to start. Got so it. I've considerably pared back on what I buy now. Okay. And do you have a special notebook? No, I printed out the New York State, I think it's like the Wildlife Association or, you know, one of those groups yeah. has a little printout and it's just like a page with little check marks on it. And it's like, these are all of the known species we think you will see throughout the state. So I, I just check that off when I think of it. And I have, as always, a notes app where I'm just like, birds, I've seen this year cool. and keep track of them. But that's that's kind of it. I, I don't do notebooks so much, but I did buy a lot of bird identification books. But again, gave all those away to people who inevitably got into birds over the pandemic as well. Nice. And do you have any of those apps that um, I know there are a few where you can take I know Dan has one where you can take pictures of plants and fruits and they'll tell you what they are. I assume you can do that with there's you can do it with animals too. Um, oh, are, yes. are you very in, are they on your homepage? Are those apps front yes. and center? Okay. Do I have a folder called bird apps on my yeah. phone? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I swear by the Sibley app, which is David Sibley, who's like a beloved birder. And it's what it does is stereographs, which are kind of a, you can, a map of sound and you can watch it. And then it uses those maps on the graph to identify what the bird is. That's so cool. And I, so I've now learned to identify bird calls, not just by ear, but by stereograph, because sometimes like you can take quizzes at the Cornell Bird Center. This is how far I've gone. No, no, no. I, this is fascinating to me because I yeah. know, I know your personality. I live with your personality. <laughs> He's in the other room. I get this. I've seen this before, but I like hearing about it from other people too. So I know about the Sibley app. So there are quizzes you can take a, uh, from Cornell that will like... Mm -hmm. That will play you this the call, and you have yeah. to match them up, or it'll just give you the stereograph. It'll just oh, wow. give you like you know a graph you're looking at. Like it looks like an old timey thing, and you'll say like, okay, based on this pattern and the up and down of it, what bird is this most likely? And they'll tell you it's the Pacific Northwest. It's spring. It's by a pond or whatever. Oh, that's magic. Um, that honestly yeah, feels like I magic. I mean, it's it's silly and fun, and I don't. I kind of love gathering information I probably will never use or need in my real life, but it's fun. I love it. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a and it's a perfect activity, um, pandemic or otherwise, but especially, you know, we were all getting into stuff over the last two years. Like we all took up like crafts, you know, people started to learn how to cook and bake mm -hmm. and birding too is important because a, you do it outside and it can be done by yourself and it's enjoyable to mm -hmm. do by yourself and and for a very long time there 
all we could do was be by ourselves um, or mm-hmm. within the direct company of the people we live with. And sometimes you need alone time even from that. Uh, and and um, outside, it was also sort of the safest place you could be if you were with one other person or two other people. And so it kind of is so incredibly conducive. Uh, and I imagine so, so calming. I, d- I don't have a very calming personality. And so I don't um, take part in many calming activities. But you're kind of convincing me that maybe I should go to the park and 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 just sort of dip my toes into seeing what I can see, um, especially because I grew up on the East Coast and I spent all of my life in the East Coast until January 2020 when we moved to Los Angeles. And now we're in a totally different climate and there's all mm-hmm. these things that I'm not familiar with. Uh, and, and it was also, um, you know, you move to a brand new city. All you want to do is eat at the restaurants and explore and see your friends. And we couldn't do any mm-hmm. of that. We are so intimately familiar with our house and the, our backyard. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe this would kind of spark a little bit uh, more excitement about this place for me that I was it was sort of waning for a little bit but I don't know if I could really do it without before even stepping foot outside spending like eight hundred dollars on like bird watching material um uh I do have some birding books but they're uh I think they're for central Pennsylvania so that's not going to help me um here and I could definitely fish out a notebook that I bought months ago that I swore this would be the one that change, would change my life. I could use that for birding. Um, I know you had mentioned the idea of good binoculars. What makes, and I know this isn't even your item, but, but because we talked about it, what makes a good pair of binoculars? There are two things to consider. The first is like, how far away are you going to be looking at things? Yep. Because that will always run up against the other issue, which is how heavy are they? <laughs> because if you're going to like lug them around and go on a hike, you probably want something a little bit lighter and more portable, in which case those tend to not be great mm. for super, super long distances. I'm really picky and I want to see something up close. I'd rather sit still. i I would always rather sit still in life, basically, than walk or do anything. Sure. Yes. So I have a heavier, bigger pair, and I'll lug them out. Like if we, like we got kayaks during the pandemic, and would do little runs on our creek, Fun. and I would lug that sucker across my neck. But when we saw cool things, like we saw kingfishers and stuff that were hunting on the river, that was great to be able to see them in super close detail. But just buy a basic pair. I mean. The basic pair will be totally fine. If you get super geeked out like me and your husband, then yeah, like look look at the Audubon page and they'll list, you know, what they think is the best stuff for this year and what's what's a good affordable pair, blah, blah, blah. But never get any of the ones that have built-in recording devices. I did that and I thought it was going to be smart. It's the worst video quality ever. So I gave up on that. Interesting. Well, that leads you into your item really because, and we're about that time in the show where we start talking about the thing you brought, but we've kind of already been talking about the thing you brought. Uh, we've been talking around it anyway. So you bought a binocular with recording. Have we just been so spoiled with the quality of our phones and the quality of other, like that binocular recording hasn't caught up and you were sort of expecting it to be like this big HD presentation? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like my phone attached to that. And, you know, I think a lot of birders have, you know, that video where they've like held their iPhone up to their 
yeah, their um, yeah. binoculars to try to, and I've, I have lots of terrible pictures like that. <laughs> um, but I ultimately was talking about it and everyone in their, you know, family sends me that link to, there's like a Kickstarter project that's like a little bird feeder with a thing that's mounted, but it's quite small. It's a very particular type of platform. And so I knew that would limit the types of birds that would come to it. And someone said, why don't you just put a trail camera up? And I thought, oh, a trail camera, that's like for stuff that's super far away. But then I Googled and like everything in the world, there is a YouTube channel for somebody who has, you know, DIY'd that to work. And so I've gone through three different types of trail cameras to get to the one that I love, which is the thing I picked for today. And I now own four of them. And Julia has built custom length platforms to go underneath them so that the birds and also a million other types of tiny squirrels can hang out on them, eat, and have a distance from the camera because the camera, I think, makes a, a noise when it takes a picture that they can hear. So if you create enough distance, it will focus enough and then they won't be bothered by it. And I have captured some really incredible photos, like real just weirdo bird behavior and like real doofy moments of birds making <laughs> weird faces and fighting with each other. And then also we've caught like you know, a million types of skunks and possums and bears, because several times the bears have just gone right up to the platform and ripped them off the tree. So we've got photos of all that, oh too, which gosh. is fun. And have they and they've survived that the they've ripped the camera off the tree or they've OK, not the camera, just oh, okay. the platform, just the platform. And OK, yeah, yeah. OK, so because upon reading your email before we got on the on this episode, I already knew this is Dan's holiday present. I need to know. <laughs> and I mean, we would do this anyway, but now I need to know everything. And yes. I need to know exactly sort of what the setup is and mm-hmm. how it works and how much it costs. And I also kind of love the idea that this is actually, these are actually pictures that you might print or frame one mm-hmm. day because I do feel like so much of our um it's like when you go to a concert and you watch someone filming the concert and you're like are you gonna watch that again like what what are you doing that for I really try and I we've all done it at one point because it's like it just kind of it's like built-in behavior now that we have these yeah. phones but sometimes I catch myself being like what am I doing why am I filming this am I'm not gonna like return I'm not gonna go back and watch this like oh here's like I don't know this song I like but if I'm not trying to do like a professional quality video, then I'm no, I'm never going to return to it. But I like the mm-hmm. idea that this is actually a camera that could capture images that you might actually want to show off one day. Um, yes, whereas absolutely. I imagine the built-in recorder on the binoculars is not something that you would ever want to like hang on the wall. So no. this is a, that, that makes this already enticing to me. So, so tell me, so tell us everything. Sure. So the one I'm using is a Cam Park trail camera. Um, And it's, you know, a camera that's probably like maybe six inches tall by like three inches across, like a little rectangle. And you can attach it to the tree with like, you know, a screw or a drill or whatever. Um, I use the strap that comes with it and I attached it to like relatively thin trees. So you tie it up there and you can just leave it like that. Like that can be your day. You can point it at a bird feeder that's either hanging or on the ground. With the way our property is, that wasn't going to work for anything. So we built these little kind of L-shaped bracket platforms in front of it so that we could pour seed there and the birds can hop on the platform and do all their stuff. And it just, it snaps away while it's doing that. And you can set it to snap a picture. You can set up to snap a video. Quality of the video is 
considerably less than the photos. So okay. I have it on the photo setting. I think it takes a photo like every four seconds while it senses motion. And the one I have that I love is solar powered. So for the most part, if you choose the right location, you never have to do anything battery wise for the camera. You load wow. it up with the initial, you know, AAA batteries, I think. And I think I changed it like once a month at that yeah. point. Um, and then every day, I mean, I would get like four or 500 photos, <laughs> which became Does like it send them quite... to you like as they take them? Or at the end of the day, do you get like a folder that's like just today's photos or... You can access it live on through their app. It is a very glitchy app, okay. but um, you can use the app to see, like, in you could see if there's like a cool bird and you can see it, but you don't uh -huh. want to disturb the bird. You can open the app, it'll turn the camera on, and then you can kind of watch it up close. Um, but I never really got into that feature. I would check it, and then I was like, this is too much work. So at the end of every day, because I had to take the platforms down when the bears started coming, um, I would empty the the SD card and just throw it at my computer. And then like once a week, I would go through thousands of photos and pick out the good ones. And, you know, I would see birds that I never saw in the yard because they don't come close to people. So I would catch all these different types of birds that I had no idea were even cool. in our area, but would come to the platform, but wouldn't come to like a hanging bird feeder. Right. And, and have you gotten any of those photos printed or framed? Has any of that made its way outside of the computer? No, but only because I don't print or frame photos anymore. Yeah. Um, I've just, yeah, I've fully moved into that place where I don't do that anymore. But yes, there are many that I love that have been phone backgrounds, computer backgrounds. I joined like a very geeky bird group on Facebook and I share the photos there. And they're very different than, there are like, you know, amateur bird watcher photographers who spend their whole lives like traveling around taking photos and watermarking them and like, you know, sharing them with groups. I feel like I am the weird comedian of that group. And so I'll like collect all of my like most bizarre photos of birds itching their ears or like yelling at each other or whatever. And I like to upload those because I just feel like it, it brings life to birds that I think we so often either capture only in like these majestic flight moments. Sure. And I feel like, no, they're weirdos like the rest of us. Yeah. This is great. That's like, so funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're weird. They scream at each other. They like, All the time. do weird stuff with their weird bodies. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love this. Now, do you have to, so when you empty the SD card, so does the camera just stay up then? Um, mm -hmm. Or do you take up, it in? I can see it right now. Just sits, nope, it lives outside year round. It's totally fine. It's Excellent. meant to be like a hunting camera. Like you would leave it out on a trail and watch for deer. And I mean, I've seen plenty of deer in our in our front yard all the time, so we've we've captured those as well. But it's really it's like you know it's a camouflage. It looks like something a hunter would would have. Um, but for the most part, it just hangs out out there. And I had to take the platforms down because of bears, and also there was a like a bird disease going around the country this year, Aww. so I took them down for a while. But um, it'll it'll go back up probably in the winter when we don't have bears out as much. But we have one very determined uh, neighborhood bear who comes by even when there's nothing now. So I've created a huge problem. Oh no! Uh, which I'm aware is a problem, and I'm I am not supporting that anymore. And I don't put anything out. Oh, but um, gosh. but yeah, it's I it, it has brought me endless amounts of happiness, and I'm super excited to like use it again within within reason in the winter mm -hmm. to just see what's out in the yard. And you bought multiples. You said you said you own four of them. So I did. Where yes. are they? Where what? And are they in different types of 
places? Like, do you have one on a tree? Do you have one on the ground? Like, what? Where do you have them? I they're all in trees. Okay. Um, I primarily because I think if I left them on the ground, I'm pretty sure they would just get covered with like leaves and stuff, and sure. then it would probably not be super usable. Um, we have so many different tree types as well as like just weird areas of brush. So I've kind of shoved them into those sections, but they all have to be accessible to sunlight. So I've, I've had to choose things based on where the sun is in the yard. And I have one in the front yard, one in the backyard. I've noticed that placement plays a big role in the quality of the photos because of lighting. Mm-hmm. So the ones in the front yard are way better than the ones in the backyard. And then totally different birds will come to the front yard that won't come to the backyard. Oh, wow. So and how's yeah, the that, night that's vision. how I got that far. I like that. And how's the night vision on them? You know, it's not it's not a frameable photograph, but it is a very clear idea of what is happening in your backyard at night, which is can be creepy. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of cool. Like that's how I found out we had all these bears I didn't know were in our backyard. <laughs> um, you know, we'll see like and in particular the cardinals eat at night, which I find so I just didn't expect that. And so at night there's always like this great mohawk profile of oh, a wow. cardinal out there just chowing down after everybody else has kind of gone to sleep and we'll get like little little baby red squirrels will eat at night too so sometimes you'll see those but mostly it's like skunks and possums in the the further out in the yard that would uh, everything from a rare bird sighting to a possum sighting would give dan so much choice this is going to be a very good present um do you recommend doing two as like a I know yeah of course like one but also like do you <laughs> but do you remember do you recommend doing like a, a front yard camera a backyard camera if you have space in both I think so and I think like stay flexible in the beginning if you're like Ugh, I'm not like getting anything interesting I would leave it there for like at least a week okay and see what you what you catch um or capture in the camera and then move them around based on light and what you see and especially if you live like in a suburban area you're gonna get like cats and dogs and like funny weird stuff yeah people who knows um but just like see what happens chances are you'll catch something really funny and then you can play around with like how often it takes photos um because i don't really care about how much space it takes up i have it set to take photos pretty quickly when something's happening i think that's the way to go it does use energy but if you're if you've got a solar thing set on it that doesn't matter anymore Cool. I'm I'm excited to to I'm looking at them right now, the Cam Park cameras. There's yes. a, a a lot of different ones. Um mm-hmm. did you experiment with a few before you found the one you loved or did you get the right one right off the bat and and do you remember which exactly model it is? I don't remember the first one I got. I know I posted it. I have a saved section on my Instagram page of like all the setups that we've done over the past year. Uh-huh. And the first one I got was a really basic one that was just brown. And that was fine, super user-friendly. But then a friend of mine was like, why are you getting the one with the batteries? Like, what a waste. You should be using the solar-powered one. Right. And I was like, well, I got that one on sale. So that's why it was like $70 versus 130 Sure. So I got that one. And then I saw the solar-powered one. I was like, I'll order one of those and we'll see what happens. And those photos were just so much better in terms of quality. Okay. I don't have to mess with the batteries anymore. So that the Cam Park solar-powered one, there's only one. That one, I think, is the best one. And I've gotten the more one. of those. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking that up right now. Let's see. Yeah. It's great. That sounds so good. I want it. I want it like today. Um, and then, let's see. 
solar. Okay, I'm looking at. Okay, I see. Oh, this is yeah. very cool. Yeah, it's the Cam Park T200 4K solar power solar panel trail camera. Yeah, and it has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth in it, so that you can attach it to your phone. But again, don't don't rely on the app. The app is very glitchy. So basically, you think kind of go old school, like every week do a an SD card dump, see yeah. what you get. Don't don't like be overly. So I got like a dog camera when we got our puppy and then I had to take it off. I had to take the app like off my phone because it alerted me every time she like made a muscle move. Um, Oh, yeah. And I didn't I don't want to be alerted of that. Like she's fine. You know what I mean? And it was just kind of like freaking me out. So I feel like that would be sort of my same vibe with the cam park if I was using the app, which would be like every time I took a picture, I would want to look at it. And I feel like that would just take up the entire day. I mean, you'll do that for a while and then it kind of, you know, the novelty wears off. But it's also, I think once you develop like an understanding of how fundamentally unsocial with humans birds are, you start to realize that the best way to watch them is by giving them their space and then to just observe them in this format means they can interact with, you know, food. You get a picture or something interesting, but you don't bug them. Like I spent the first half of the pandemic wandering around my yard with a tray of seed, like a complete lunatic, <laughs> just trying to get a bird to like land on my arm or whatever. And Julia got Julia got me all these hummingbird rings that have like nectar in them, look like, you know, um, look like ring pops. And uh-huh. I was just walking around with my arms up in the air, like hoping something would land on me. And I remember at one point she just looked at me like, this has gone way too far. Yeah, this might not work. <laughs> Did it ever yeah, work? And she, no, I've seen there's some guy there's some guy on TikTok who just like turns his whole body into a bouquet of flowers and they'll land all over him. But you know, I think in certain areas that might work better than others. Yeah. But I also just realized like these are wild animals and or wild birds. They mostly don't want to interact with humans. So I'm gonna give them their space. And then, you know, if you go and sit outside for like an hour, they eventually will come very close to you. They just don't wanna like hang out with you. Got it. This is this is so interesting. You know, I'm now, of course, I'm on the Cam Park website. I'm like, when does this start? It's actually on sale right now. And I'm get it. <laughs> and I know, I know. And we're recording this. I just want everyone to know we're recording this on what's today? The 13th, is it? Yep. Yes. It's October 13th. I think this is gonna be out in a week and a half. I hope it's still on sale. I might just alert the Instagram community and the Facebook group to it now uh, and just give them a heads up because it's like 30% off right now. Um yeah. So, and also maybe it's time for you to get a fifth one. I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you want to use this opportunity to, to upgrade, um, your, your situation and just put a camera on every inch of your, inch of your house. Um, has, has there been any neighborhood, uh, complaints, uh, about, uh, the, the, did the bird, did the bird feeding, get out of control to the point where any neighbors were upset about it yes and no <laughs> um, <laughs> not in the sense that anyone like said anything to me but when I've discussed with friends who live down the street from us who are much older and who are like full-time naturalists they were like what are you doing you you cannot put feed out you should not be doing that in an area like this we live in a super rural area right off of many nature preserves and they were like these are wild animals you cannot feed them and I was like 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and I, I still put them up. But then when the when the bears came, they were like, see, now it's going to take months to get rid of the bears because they're going to repeat their cycle of visiting until oh. they eventually are like, crap, <gasps> there's nothing here. Um, so that's why we have like, we have a very young bear who comes, he's like, I think is probably like a yearling or something. And he comes every night and checks where the where the platforms used to be and just like walks up and looks <gasps> at them and goes, ugh, and then moves on. But, you know, we have to be safe about stuff like that and also safe for the bear because oh. I don't want him to associate people with food. So, you know, I had to I had to curb in my obsessive behavior. Look what you did. Wow. I mean, who doesn't yeah. want a pet bear, though? I always say. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> from, a, from a safe distance, they're so beautiful. Right. But safe distance. Up close, no, thank you. Did you have to go with your tail between your legs to your neighbors and be like wow you were right or did you just pretend that you knew that you followed their lead the entire time I mean you know we everybody lives super spread out where we live so we don't actually interact with any of our neighbors in that sense which is nice Um, but I do have friends like our our vet uh, for our pets she lives much closer to other people's houses and she was like how are you putting bird feeders out right now and she was like my neighbors have them out and that's why we have bears in our yard 24 7 so I, I understand that it's a problem, um, but we're surrounded by people who are either not full-timers in the area and mostly aren't here, yep. or neighbors who are full-time hunters who okay. have a very different idea of, of how wildlife should be treated different than I do. Vibe. So, mm-hmm. I like yeah. the idea of the vacationers, the summer housers or the holiday housers coming and being like, yeah, there's like 40 bears in our yard. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. What happened while we were gone? And it's like, well. I guess you'll never know. I guess you'll never know. Wow. This is amazing. Yeah. Our neighbor, we have a really lovely neighbor who is um, only part time and she lives in in the city most of the time. And she was here and there's a bear that is always just kind of in our neighborhood, regardless of my bird feeding. It's been here for a long time because a lot of people around here are homesteaders. So there's like huge, you know, beehives and rabbit warrens and all this stuff of people keeping, keeping subsistence stuff. Anyway, and so she's had a bear in her yard for a while. And she was like, don't worry, I solved it. I put a rock on top of my trash can. <laughs> I was like, I don't think a rock is going to stop. the. It's just going to swat the rock off and then lift the trash yeah. can Yeah, have so you ever met a part, bear that's, they they don't care about rocks? That's no, not, yeah. no, <laughs> no. And I, I went to Alaska when I closed Design Sponge as kind of like a bucket list trip to myself. And I got to hear from people who live with like real bears, like, you yeah. know, grizzly bears. And, yeah massive bears that can just destroy things in a second and they were like just don't do the activity like you can't there are no tools and prevention things yeah that there's keep them out yeah none of those things work just you can't leave like a, the stuff a pizza outside with like a lock yeah. on the box and just be like yeah, the bear exactly. will never know the code um exactly okay well that is that's good tips here we have coyotes um and mm. and that's sort of our our cross to bear we also have the raccoon walter as i told you no one else in my household likes him, but Dan has named him. Um, and I think a lot of what the cam park uh, camera will pick up in the first, at least few times we use it, will be Walter because he is around. Um, but it is, it you do, I mean, especially in a new place and you guys, I know you've been in the Hudson Valley for a while, but it is different than living in New York City. Living in Los Angeles is different than living in New York City. And I think becoming really familiar with your environment uh, makes you like a better, I don't know, it, make, it, it, may, it helps you contribute 
good things to the place where you've you know settled down rather than moving in and like changing everything and I kind of my first lesson in that was was my father-in-law um will not like mow his lawn and they do not do any landscaping and when you live in the suburbs that can be annoying to neighbors who want you know a shortcut lawn and Mm -hmm. these kind of trees but he's a chemist and also like does uh orchid he grows and breeds orchids um and has a big greenhouse in in their backyard but he's he maintains the kind of the same thing you said like if you move stuff I mean you're that's you're getting rid of a a animal's environment um to like do to like live in a way that is like comfortable and known to them um Mm -hmm. and it's why you can it's why before we left New York we had to give all of our plants to people they won't let you even bring in like other plants into different climate zones and and it's just it's it's fascinating that all of this stuff happens all around us but we pay so little attention to it Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it really it does connect you to where you live and to appreciate where you live even if you don't think you have a lot of nature where you live it's there you just don't probably see it as often so I like any device or tool or even just like a practice that involves sitting outside and paying really close attention even if you don't have birds and animals but you've got like bugs like I'm terrified of spiders and so I forced myself to join this like very very geeky spider group on on Facebook of people who live in the area who just are super geeked out about spiders and the way that I feel about birds and while it doesn't make me not jump when I see them in the house because we have huge spiders in our house it makes me I'm like oh I know what that is I I know what that spider is now I know that it's not gonna jump I know that it's terrified of me and I have basically learned not to do anything to them, but just let them be. But sometimes that kind of exposure therapy to even things you think you didn't have any interest in, it just, it wakes up like a little part of your brain. And I think right now, while we're all Mm. kind of dealing with just a ton of anxiety and Mm. the unknown, learning new things, it feels like this tiny moment of both excitement and interest and some little thing you can control. Like I'm finding out new information. I'm learning about stuff around me. Like, that to me makes me feel like I have some little handle on what's happening in my life. And that's really important right now. Right. And, and it's a, it's a safe thing too. You know, it's, you're not, I I think, you know, we touched on this earlier, the idea of, of now everything you do and how you move in the world actually has a ripple effect on the people around you and in a way that can be devastating. So you really have to like make choices that, um, you can live with, I mean, burden, maybe this is, I, Dan, if Dan is going to listen to this and be like, are you kidding? Like I have been trying to get you to do this for so long and it took, you, it took grace to get you to do it, but you make it sound more interesting. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> you really do. You really do. It, I feel you, Dan. I feel like, you know, <laughs> Julia and I have this too, where there'll be something I talk about to her ad nauseum for a long time and she'll be like whatever and then someone at work will mention it and she's like have you heard of this thing and I'm like (gasps) um but you know I birding I think birding should and or not should but can be for everyone and I think that the way that we have kind of a lot of us have shaped our brains around social media and really short form content birding even in like short segments of 10 or 15 minutes just like sitting in your yard you don't even need binoculars just sit in your yard or sit in your back porch or your whatever you've got access to um you know it trains your brain to like 
be a bit more present mm-hmm. and to focus on what's actually in front of you. Mm-hmm. And that tends to improve all of your nervous system regulation, the way you breathe. And it doesn't have to be a meditative thing, but it can be, which is nice. Yeah, it can be by default. And and definitely a thing I could use as a way to trick myself into being a little bit calmer and a, a little bit more mindful and to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, at least just because I know it would be helpful, but I can never get myself there. So maybe immersing myself in an activity that is by default meditative uh, <laughs> would help get me there. Um, Grace Bonnie, this is so interesting. I'm so excited about this. You've you've finished my holiday shopping and it ha- it's not even <laughs> Halloween yet. And I appreciate it. Uh, I look forward to your new book, Collective Wisdom, which is out November 9th. Um, do you, you have uh, an indie bookstore that you want to give a shout where people can pre-order? it uh, or order it when it comes out on shelves. Absolutely. So there's a great bookstore called Oblong Books in Rhinebeck, New York, which is kind of our our favorite local indie. And you can get signed copies there if, if that's of interest to you. And Amazing. you can also just regular old order it there and they will mail it to you quite quickly. So Oblong is awesome. Wonderful. Okay. Well, we will link to everything. Um, I am, I'm going to, uh, if you are a steadfast Instagram um, and Facebook follower of this podcast, you have already seen that we linked the camera because it was on sale at the time of this recording. And I didn't want to leave you guys hanging if someone was as interested as I am uh, about buying this uh, trail camera. Um, But we'll link to everything that we talked about. We'll hope for a Black Friday sale. um, And I will keep an eye on all of that uh, stuff for you guys so that if anyone is interested, you can get it at the best possible price. And we will also link to Grace's books um, and her work and everything we we talked about I will also uh, I'll pull up the both the Audubon list of best binoculars and if you Grace could send me the printout that you did of of your area the birds to check off Mm -hmm. that would be amazing absolutely wonderful this was so so much fun and I really appreciate that you took the time to come on the show my pleasure thanks for having me happy birding you just listened to another episode of Do Thanks Just Bought It, edited and mixed by Veronica Gruba and produced and hosted by me, Caroline Moss. In between episodes, you can always head to the G Thanks Instagram at G Thanks Just Bought It Pod and the G Thanks Facebook group to get and give life changing recommendations of your own. Subscribe to our weekly sale and discount emails at gthanks.substack.com. It's free. And you can reach me at caroline at gthanksjustboughtit.com or leave me a message at 424-245-0736 with a product recommendation and you may be featured on an upcoming episode. Thanks is powered by subscribers like you. To keep all of our Thanks content free and accessible to all, consider making a monthly donation of $2 to keep us going at patreon.com slash gthanksandfriends. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.